Welcome to the Fit Vegan Body Podcast with your host, Aaron Cattell, the vegan coach. The point of this podcast is to give you an in-depth but practical approach when it comes to losing weight, being healthy, or gaining muscle on a vegan or plant-based diet. We will have guests every single week to help clear up any confusion and make sure that you are 100% confident in your choice of your lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Fit Vegan Body. I'm here with Clint Patterson. Clint, how are you doing? Not doing great, mate. It's good. It's so refreshing to hear an Australian accent, even though I'm from New Zealand. I should really not be that keen about the Australian accent, but it's good. It's nice and fresh. It's casual. It's great. And I'm really looking forward to this podcast with you. I've heard you um, with Simon, who's from Plant Proof and related to a lot of things. I kind of was, you know, when I would be growing up as a young male, I was like, what if something like this happened to me? Um, and know i don't know how well i would have dealt with it seemed like you dealt with it um ups and downs and kind of think it's important that we hear your story so i guess for people that don't know who you are i've not heard of you can you quickly or not so quickly cover um your your history i suppose yeah so uh, i grew up on a on a farm uh meat and potatoes kind of guy uh growing up I was always skinny as a lad, so I always tried to eat as much food as I can. In fact, my dad used to say, eat your meat, son, it'll put air in your chest. So uh, I used to be a, uh, you know, um, classic farmer kind of son growing up. Um, went through university, did well at university, got a nice whole bunch of, uh, uh, you know, certificates for the wall, um, doing laser physics, studying optoelectronics. So I thought I was always going to be a uh, laser physicist and working in the field of particularly optical fiber technology uh, and did for five years, um, helped um, create the infrastructure of the internet that's connecting us right now. So um, through manufacturing parts that went into um, undersea cables, optical fiber network cables that are used for most uh, internet connections. So I did that for five years, uh, then just uh, got into stand-up comedy, did stand-up comedy for a number of years. Um, and then when I was 31, um, had everything turned on its head. Uh, as stand-up comedy was going great, I was trying to uh, expand my... Um, uh, you know, my, my profile and develop a fan base and I was getting on TV and it was going, you know, quite well. Um, and then I got hit with rheumatoid arthritis. So that just sort of came from absolute out of nowhere, uh, in terms of, you know, my, my, uh, plans for what I wanted to do in life. Uh, and so now to cut to, you know, what I do today, uh, I still speak at corporate events and present and give keynote talks about rheumatoid arthritis uh, and do the odd uh, stand-up comedy job for companies and so forth. Um, but my days are spent with my family and helping people with rheumatoid arthritis through a plant-based program that we've created that's very specific uh, to gut healing and anti-inflammatory and uh, um, reduction of oxidative stress and just focused on really suppressing the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis and not as an alternative to Western medicine, but in parallel to Western medicine so that people can minimize their dependency 
on the drugs that are used for this condition because the drugs for this condition are very, very serious. Some of the most uh, dangerous drugs that are allowed to be taken. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a great interest and uh, opportunity um, for people to, um, to adopt a plant-based diet for this condition. Okay. Now you said that was when you were 31 that you kind of, so I turned 31 this Friday. So I feel like that's, that's quite relatable and much shit. I can't imagine. I mean, like you said, you had the whole, your whole life ahead of you, right? So it must've been a big kick in the guts when you were like, okay. So was it 31 you were actually diagnosed or was that when you started to feel the symptoms of it? Well, when you get something like the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, you don't wait too long before you get a diagnosis because it's pretty bad. Um, So yeah, like um, when I was as a, you know, I I can totally remember how I felt at your age right now. Um, It's just a fabulous age. You, uh, you, you know, you're obviously doing sensational stuff with your, uh, with your career, the, the, you still feel, um, young, but you still feel old enough to have wisdom. It's just such a great age, you know? And, um, um, I also was, you know, starting to firm up a relationship. So there's excitement on that front and all this. So yeah. And so, um, I, uh, I forget, I forget what your question was because I was just visualizing being back in the day before the pain hit. Oh yeah. But what happened was when, when the pain hit, it hit in the feet yeah. and I, I woke up one morning, I'd sore feet and it's a strange pain. You know, it feels, it feels like you've got um, like a burr or a thorn, you know, in, 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 in your foot uh, that just doesn't go away. And you look and there's nothing there, um, but there's that pain there. It's quite a, it's a sharpish, and dull at the same time kind of mixture of pain. So that obviously was um, bothering me. And then it went into my fingers and I went to the, the doctor and, and he ran some blood tests and uh, called me back in and was very serious and said, you've got rheumatoid arthritis. And, and I, I didn't realize that it was such a terrible disease. I just thought um, that uh, I had to learn about it and I had to try and um, work out how to get rid of it and stop it. But he sent me straight to a rheumatologist and he said, it's very serious. And uh, yeah, um, I didn't appreciate at the time just quite what this thing was. Hmm. So is it quite, like you said, it was quite a distinct kind of feeling when you you know hopped out of bed, you got that, that thorn feeling. Did, did you think it could be anything else? Like, was it that noticeable that you're like, shit, I should go to the doctor like straight away? Um, or was it kind of those, that dull pain that you could have just put up with for a week or two weeks and then like, oh, maybe I should check it out? You know, I'd never been sick or hurt, never broken a bone. I was otherwise very, very healthy all my life until that point. Um, in hindsight, I didn't realize that it, a several a number of decisions that I'd made around antibiotic use and around my diet and so on, um, I wasn't healthy but I was asymptomatic. And so I thought, look, um, this isn't going to be serious because I'm just not the kind of guy that gets serious things happen to them. And from a non-physical perspective, um, as a sort of another insight into, you know, my character, I've always felt deep down that things always work out for me. And um, I have always thought 
uh, well, prior to this and then, um, you know, throughout some periods of time throughout the journey of trying to get well, that I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And, and whether or not that's true doesn't matter. But, you know, if, if you believe something like that, it can tend to show up in your life in ways that then self-reinforce your own belief system. And so I've always thought I'm just extremely lucky and things always work out for me. Um, but that was extremely challenged throughout this um, period with rheumatoid arthritis. And, um, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I, I was, yeah, in some dark places. And, uh, but, but, you know, whilst I wouldn't want to, you know, it, it's a weird spot to be in right now where I can't honestly say that I would, prefer things to be as they are and that I couldn't, wouldn't want to rewind the clock and just have this never happen and be naive for the rest of my life. It's a weird one because the damage that's been done to my knee and my elbows through the years of inflammation are such that um, I got to live with that for the rest of my life. And the, um, the, there's significant challenges just having those damaged joints. So, uh, you know, there's a uh, bit of a character analysis and insights there as well. Yeah, I think when I was listening to that original podcast, that's kind of what I related to as well. It's like when you're 30, 31, you kind of think you're bulletproof. You think that you're indestructible and whatever is sore, it's probably just because I worked out too hard the next day or, you know, it will go away. And so it must have been, yeah, quite eye-opening to be like, okay, this is something else. What the heck is it? What, um, what was, before we go into what like rheumatoid arthritis actually stems from and what it is, what was your diet like from when you were living in that small town? Cause you said you were from a farmer's family, right? So I imagine, yeah. like you said, lots of meat, but what about um, as you were going through school and up until you were, you know, 30, um, were you eating what was healthy back then or what else was going on? Yeah. I'll tell you about the dietary side of things. And I'll also explain what I later learned to be the cause of why the disease actually happened. Um, because, I think that um, just purely from a dietary point of view, um, you know, humans, if, um, if we add exercise and we add, uh, you know, keep our stress levels quite low, you know, there's a lot of evidence to show just how robust the human body is. I mean, you can, you, I remember there was a painter showed up to our house one day and all he lived off after he was with us for three days painting our place. And he just lived off cigarettes and Coca-Cola. That was, that was all he, and he was not a young guy and he moved around up and down the ladder scooting around. I mean, it, it, you can throw abuse at the human body and it's very resilient. So it takes some, um, in some cases, some extraordinarily stupidity or some very targeted potential damage to the body to bring it undone to the point where it can get rheumatoid arthritis. And so for me, I think that if I'd have only eaten sort of a meat heavy, you know, omnivore diet and went to the gym occasionally, like I was doing, um, playing the odd touch football, you know, um, that things probably would have not showed up or at least in that format for a very long time. If ever I might have later died of a heart attack or I might've developed some other disease or just general you know, un, uh, various symptoms of other things later in life. I don't know, but it was not that, that that was really the biggest impact on why I got the condition. Um, why I 
got the condition was because when I was a teenager, I had really severe acne. I had it on my forehead and cheeks and it was very, very upsetting as a, as a teen. Um, and although people didn't tease me, uh, you know, people have a little bit more, um, you know, self or self or a little bit more social grace. Uh, I felt awful about it and I tried different skin creams and stuff. And of course, eating a lot of bad foods and lots of milk and ice cream. So I was, you know, unaware that I was causing a lot of this myself uh, and not touching any of the dietary side of things. So obviously uh, the underlying cause was not being addressed. And so my dad said, Hey, when I was your age, I took antibiotics for, um, for acne and it did a, did a, did the trick. And so I said, well, you know, sign me up immediately. And uh, I took them for five consecutive years and uh, I kept getting the scripts refilled and no doctor ever suggested that maybe I want to take a break or that maybe this could be doing me any harm. And whilst it's not their fault, um, you know, I, I, I really had nobody to provide me any kind of warning that this might've been, might've been a bad idea and that that's no excuse. But um, I think I would have taken a, a warning from someone pretty seriously and maybe have stopped it earlier. But five years of antibiotics, I basically, you know, was dropping atomic bombs on my, on my little guys. Uh, my microbiome took an absolute blasting. And, um, and then from that point onwards, I had digestive issues uh, from my early 20s throughout, throughout my 20s. Um, I was seeing naturopaths um, and getting different opinions about what to do, change my diet here and there. Um, but continued with the digestive problems um and it really i think just um manifested into the the bigger issue of being rheumatoid arthritis and prior to that i'd had what like nearly 10 years of of warning that something was wrong and i believe that if any time during that 10 years i'd have switched to the sort of foods that i recommend people eat today i would have never ever developed the condition and i strongly believe that and, um but I didn't and then um, paid the consequence because once the switch goes from, um, you know, non-autoimmune to autoimmune, then that switch is uh, virtually impossible to switch back. All we can do is aim to have as little uh, evidence of the condition in our body as possible in, you know, blood tests and physical symptoms and stuff. So, yeah, um, I think that answers the question about what I was eating. It was, you know, I was not a, bad eater i would not eat out that much i would sometimes uh, cook foods at home but they were simple things you know like hopeless man kind of stuff like spaghetti bolognese and things you know? <laughs> um, and uh, um, I, I remember and this is something i haven't thought of for a long time but i used to tell my wife when when, when we were first going out uh, before we got married she used to find it incredulous that I, I used to sometimes eat so little healthy, like vegetables and fruits. Um, I, I would have, I would have like stir fried veggies, you know, as, as my healthy food, always in oil, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I used to crave heads of iceberg lettuce and eat them like giant apples. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what my girlfriend does. <laughs> She does. <laughs> yeah. That and like capsicums, so like red peppers or red capsicums. And like yeah, apples. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um crazy. And later. <laughs> so that was some kind of like really, really um intuitive, kind of primitive kind of need for some degree of of fresh 
fresh salad. Um, and of course I chose the worst possible <laughs> lettuce as well with very few nutrients. Yeah. Um, and then years later, you know, I was, um, uh, as we get towards, you know, into the area where I was trying to heal and stuff, I used to buy, you know, when I couldn't use a juicer to make my beloved cucumber and celery juices, I used to just get whole cucumbers and just, and, uh, just uh, peel the, the greasy uh, skin off them and then just walk around, just eat cucumbers like bananas. And uh, that, that used to turn some heads as well. You don't normally <laughs> see munching on cucumbers like that. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but you know, each to their own. Maybe you guys in Australia, you know, that's how you eat your cucumbers. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Could become a trend. (laughs) So I think I also heard that you went to, was it Afghanistan to entertain the troops? And you think that had an effect on the malaria medication that you had to take also had an effect on your gut. Yeah. And, um, that was the exact same medication, the exact same doxycycline that I took for five years. I then took for three months um, when I was, you know, uh, just turned 31 or just around that, that age. Uh, it was only three or four months prior to diagnosis that I went to Iraq and was taking those antibiotics. And of course, a whole bunch of immunizations as well. So we had diphtheria, influenza, um, meningococcal, um, Oh gosh, typhoid, a whole bunch of them. Um, and, um, all of these injections on top of the antibiotics, um, you know, really basically just put so much pressure on my immune system, um, and, uh, and, and flip the switch. Mm. So were there any other GI kind of symptoms that were going on when, when you were taking that malaria and all the other doxycycline kind of stuff? I didn't notice that any of my GI symptoms got worse during the time that I was on those. Um, but, um, but, uh, you know, something obviously was, was, was happening. Yeah. Cause I can't imagine the diet you were having while you were in Iraq was the most plant-based either. No. Processed. Um, we, we were staying on the, in the U S army camps. And so you can only imagine what big American soldiers from mostly the American South um, want to be eating and enjoy for their, uh, for their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, We found it indulgent Hmm. um, and had no, you know, again, regards to, you know, nutrition and just eating for pure, you know, pleasure. And uh, yeah, there was almost anything you could want. In fact, there were KFC and I want to say McDonald's, but I can definitely tell you there were KFC, like little pop-up KFC in the actual camp. (laughs) Just to get a few kids happy, right? Yeah. So yeah, so that's the sort of you know stuff we were we were being offered when we're on the. uh, on the, on the trip over there. We're over there for a couple of weeks, but the malaria, you got to take the tablets a month before, during, and then a month after for the malaria prevention. They okay. were pills. So rheumatoid arthritis for someone that is listening and doesn't really know what it is, or maybe has got it, but hasn't really had it explained well to them. What is, what is it really? Yeah. So someone who doesn't know it's, um, it's an autoimmune condition that's super serious to the extent that it's kind of considered as, as uh, life 
uh, altering as something like multiple sclerosis, um, not to be confused with osteoarthritis, which is more thought of as you know wear and tear and old age arthritis. Um, and whilst osteoarthritis does have an inflammatory component to it, um, it's just a tiny little brother compared to rheumatoid arthritis, uh, which is a full-blown autoimmune condition uh, which continues to degrade and break down the tissue surrounding the joints and ultimately destroy the joints, uh, leaving joints that are disfigured, um, often bone on bone. Um, and the, um, the, there is no known cause of rheumatoid arthritis if you look for answers on the internet. And the specialists for this condition are called rheumatologists and they handle a whole bunch of different inflammatory autoimmune conditions and they are educated um, through a pharmaceutical sort of pathway and they will want to put 99% of people who are diagnosed onto medications at the very first visit and those medications are intended to be taken for the rest of that person's life. And those medications can be as... Uh, as mild as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, which, you know, not really going to take much of the bite out of this. Um, uh, and then through prednisone, we have obviously a steroid, um, and then into disease-modifying drugs. And so these particular range of drugs alter the way the immune system works so that the body uh, reduces its inflammatory state. And then after you go through the disease modifying drugs and fail those and uh, uh, or, or after a while they are not sufficient to keep the disease at bay, then there is a range of drugs called biologic drugs. And these drugs are a different way of modifying the immune system. Um, and again, um, all these are meant to be taken for life, uh, the disease modifying drugs and the biologic drugs. So it's not considered possible to, um, have a situation where you're not on medication because um, it's not witnessed within the medical community to the extent that it can be kind of considered a portion of people with, with the condition can be free of, free of drugs and live a normal life. It's just not considered something that's, um, that's possible. It is considered possible for the disease to be put into remission and that word is a medical word that suits suits the medical community because it basically means uh, no obvious symptoms showing up in the body um, and a normal blood panel. Um, but you can be on two different biologic or one biologic drug and a disease modifying drug and be called in remission. So it's not really like a high five, let the doves out kind of situation if you're on those drugs and you get told you're in remission it just means that your symptoms are being heavily suppressed by a ton of strong meds obviously that's good for your joints long term um, but ultimately these medications do catch up with you at some point and that's the trouble so um, what i teach is maximum health therefore requiring minimum drugs and have minimum symptoms, not zero drugs, zero symptoms for most people. It's maximum health and minimize the other two. Okay. So you're looking at it from not just a, Oh, look at this disease. It's a, 
how else is the rest of your body is that healthy because like you've kind of come and mentioned to is your gut must have a massive role in what happens and i think a lot of people when you think of the word arthritis you do think of wear and tear of the joints you don't think the immune system is attacked the joints and that is why and then you have to think about that next level back like why is the immune system attacking the joints like the same with any autoimmune disease why is it attacking it so i guess how i mean let's talk about the drugs are there is there massive side effects of these like do people um you know feel normal do they get back their normal function or is there these you know terrible side effects as well uh everything in between um you know, I don't know what the sort of breakdown statistically is, but you're going to get a percentage and a quite a reasonably large percentage of people who um, respond well and their life is dramatically improved by the drugs. Um, so that that statistical likelihood of improvement outweighs the risk of taking them by quite some way. And I think I'm particularly more exposed than I have a unique perspective on this because people come to me when their drugs don't work. So I am not the last resort guy, but kind of that often for a lot of people, that kind of angle. Um, so I hear all of the horror stories went on this medication and ended up in hospital emergency room, took this medication and like my giant heartbeats, I thought I was going to, you know, pass or pass away you know these these stories that are maybe uh, less frequent than uh far less frequent than doing well on the drug but i hear them all the time so i'm fully aware of the the dangers of them um although as i said for most people the benefits outweigh the risks at least at first and people can do many many years on some of these drugs and it can be um, uh, life changing improvements for them. And certainly 20, 30 years ago, without these uh, options for these drugs, people would be in wheelchairs within five years. So, you know, we should not by any means uh, point any kind of finger at the drugs as being a problem or, or a, uh, uh, something that should be avoided. Um, we should use them in parallel with our other approaches that we can also use to try and have the best quality of life possible. And yeah, so that's, that, that's a, it's a, it's a balanced thing with the medications. And, you know, I, I took methotrexate, which is a low dose cancer drug for uh, between three or four years. And without that, I would not have been able to reduce the symptoms enough for me to be able to like even move enough to develop some, some physical strength again, and um, to be able to have the willpower to get up each day and do my you know, raw food diet for eight months at first. And then, you know, very, very simple elimination diet. I would have really just been just stuck in bed and deteriorating. So uh, grateful and, and thankful for the medications that exist. Um, but there's certainly things that we can do as well to address the underlying cause. Mm, sure. And I think that's probably what I think a lot of people need to realize is we always hear these miracle stories of this person did this and you should do it too. And then they end up dying because they're saying completely no to Western med like medicine. Like mm. there needs to be that, you know, balanced approach of having, you know, both. 
So I like, haven't really talked much about what's happened with you since you got your diagnosis. So obviously you 31 got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. You got put on, I take it the, the cancer drug and then, yeah. Kind of, yeah. So then kind of what happened? Yeah. So, um, so that was, uh, so that was 12 years ago. So I'm 43 now. So it's 12 years ago. And, um, so yeah, in fact, I tried to avoid the methotrexate for the first 12 months. And what I did is I, I said, you know, feeding back into the thinking that everything works out for me and I'm a lucky guy sort of vibe. I thought I can, surely there must be um, something I can do about this and I'm resourceful. And I, I um, was doing stand up exclusively at that point. So I had a lot of time you know, you only work a couple of nights a week when you do stand-up comedy. And so I had the rest of my time to work on this. And because I was mostly doing company functions, they pay 10 times as much as working a club. So I only had to do one, you know, here and there, and I was okay financially to get by. So this provided me an ample amount of time to try and research this. And I thought with the amount of time that I have and my determination being driven by the pain that I'm in, surely there's got to be a way. Um, but without laboring all of the things I tried, uh, nothing worked. And although I made some uh, changes to my diet, it, they weren't significant enough in hindsight. Now what I know what I needed to do. Um, and so all the supplements and naturopaths and all of the mud baths and mineral springs and all of the various things, um, I ended up basically in a terrible way at the end of 12 months and, and tail between my legs went back to the, rheumatologist and asked for the methotrexate and started on that um and it but my condition although was improved from the methotrexate wasn't wasn't put in remission like the word we talked about uh, it was just a lower state of inflammation um which progressed until i was on maximum dose of methotrexate within another 12 months of then and then in the next year i had to have elbow surgery so i had a complete cyanovectomy in my left elbow and what that means is they just they just basically use a scalpel to remove all the soft tissue around the elbow joint removing all of the synovial tissue and and uh, all the inflammation comes with it and then i was put on a machine to keep my elbow moving for 10 hours a day for support okay so wow. really miserable <laughs> just yeah. pure misery Mm. right and so of course while you're on that machine all day every day you can't you know find time to to try and go for a walk or to do all the things that you'd like to be doing to try and work on your other joints which are all still inflamed mm. okay so um pretty miserable times my left knee was actually uh absolutely awful and uh found it very difficult to walk uh, and was going to a thing called Bikram yoga, which is a certain style of hot yoga. Every the hardest Sunday. thing I've ever done. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life is Bikram yoga. So I think it's mentally hard more than physically hard. It's staying in that hot room. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so difficult. I, I am so glad that you've done it. And I'm so glad <laughs> that you share my disdain towards it. Yeah. So you know how you went in there and you found it hard and you, you, you did what one class. I did three. It was like a three, three trial, but yeah, it was, I remember very distinctly that I was lying on the ground, like having my rest and I could feel my heart beating and it felt like it was bouncing off the ground in my chest because it was so hot. And I was like, I thought I was fit. I thought I was like, this makes a spin class look so easy. I was like, oh, I can't believe it. But yeah, it's, 
it's challenging i think yeah more mentally to stay in the room than than anything else so, yeah yeah yeah, oh. yeah. It's, it's it's not pleasant uh he calls it his torture chamber you know mm. in his recording if you download the itunes uh, recording of the whole class he's like welcome to vikram yoga where i torture you for 90 minutes <laughs> let's get started <laughs> and i um i uh, i've done over a thousand classes now and the reason i have done that many is because it's enabled me to to avoid a knee replacement and uh and that's it there's no other reason i mean i don't like going and uh i just keep it up because it's a discipline that that prevents me from having to have a uh, a knee replacement um so um yeah so what happened uh gosh um after after just going to Bikram yoga every day recovering from the surgery um massive weight loss because i i uh was just you know experimenting with my diet and stuff but i had a couple of breakthroughs and i think these are important for people who are, who are you know curious about the the link between the gut and the autoimmune disease the first big breakthrough was that i actually um got food poisoning and uh, had vomiting and diarrhea for 24 hours. And as a consequence of that, um, all my joint pain went away. And this was absolutely bizarre to me to feel this relationship between vomiting and diarrhea and no pain. So um, I was able to then reproduce these results a few weeks later by just doing a fast. So I just went on a three-day cucumber celery juice fast, which I started to find out through my own trial and error um, that was kind of anti-inflammatory for me. And so I'd been doing those and yeah, this um, just doing a three day uh, fast um, got rid of all the symptoms again, but every time well, that second time when I ate again, symptoms came back right away. And so I experimented what to eat uh, and I couldn't find anything that gave me adequate calories um, to meet my daily requirements that didn't give me a lot of pain, even on maximum dose of methotrexate and going to Bikram every day, right? Uh, so it turns out I found that I decided on a raw food plant-based diet. So I went on, you know, like a chimpanzee eats, like mostly uh, soak, well, nuts and seeds that I would soak to reduce their digestive load. Um, and tons of salads and, and fruit, fruits and and just a raw food diet um, and that for eight months I stayed on and uh, and found that extremely challenging but um, felt that it was helping me and sure enough at the end of that eight months I then tried some quinoa and buckwheat um, and was able to eat those without adding more pain to my body so that was a huge win simply to eat something that was warm and cooked and had that texture in my mouth uh, felt really good and also um, that it didn't add more pain because previously I couldn't eat those foods without a lot of pain. So I felt like I'd made progress. And then from there, I was able to expand into some rice and then um, within 12 months uh, have oats for breakfast and you know, within another six months or so eat black beans. And so it was years of, of slow, slow progress. There was nothing quick absolutely nothing at all. And at the end of that pro process, I was then able to lower some methotrexate, uh, eventually come off it all together. And, um, and that process from diagnosis to off medications, that, that was kind of th three and a half, four, four years or so. Um, 
And then even when off medic, even when I was off medications, I still had a, a little bit of like smoldering inflammation in my joints, which took yet another year um, working on before I was able to, um, you know, wake up and walk on my feet without any feeling or whatever and create a fist and, um, and, and just really like, you know, a fist that you could box with as opposed to just a gentle fist, you know? Okay. Yeah. So I guess based on what you've experienced, you've kind of done the trial and error thing yourself. But if we kind of summarize it's that you come probably treated the gut not so nicely when you were growing up from the antibiotics, that kind of thing, then it kind of continued to get hit by other things which made it a lot more sensitive and therefore the foods that you were eating kind of basically kind of led to having symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis and then eventually that diagnosis. So when you were doing your cucumber and celery fast and introducing more foods and that you almost in a way reset the gut microbiome so it could only have things that didn't trigger the symptoms. Is that kind of the summary we'll yeah. go with? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good summary. Okay. So now then based on what you do with your patients, the Patterson program, what things did you find that, you know, everybody or almost works for most people and then stuff that only worked for you? Like was the, what have you kind of settled on? Yeah. Um, well, there wasn't, there's not much that only worked for me that doesn't work for other people generally I've found some real common ground with what tends to work for most people and worked for me. There are exceptions, of course, there's no doubt about it. Um, but just to break down the elimination process that I put people through, um, we start with a, uh, we start with a two day celery and cucumber juice just for two days. And the reason I do this, there's a multiple number of reasons. Um, you're not going to reverse the disease in two days. And some people would say, well, why even bother doing a two-day two day cleanse if it's not going to do that much improvement to the body? But one of the biggest things that it does, well, it does two things that I like the most. One is that it, it, it drops the inflammation levels so much so quickly that when you start on day three, which is when you start eating food, you're already kind of off to a good start because inflammation in the body cascades like a snowball effect. So if you can get it down low, then when you're starting off a low platform, then you have a better chance of keeping it low. So that's, that's one reason. The other reason is because it's absolutely the most exquisite joy in your life. If you've never had pain relief from rheumatoid arthritis to have a couple of days where you get rid of it. It's like, it's like the ultimate high and um, and like a dream come true. So it's nice to experience that as well, just to oh, feel that and feel that body that doesn't scream at you all the time. Mm. And um, the third thing is compliance or adherence. When people do it and they get the experience that I describe, it builds trust in what I talk about. And they think this guy he's told me to do this wacky two day thing and drink these weird vegetable juices. And you know what? Actually, I do feel good. I'm going to listen to him. Mm. And so I've normally got them convinced low pain and feeling happy by the third day. And so that's not a bad start. And then on day three, all people will eat is just buckwheat and quinoa mixed together. So you can cook them together because they cook at the same time 
um, with some um, seaweed, like some dulse, um, and some flavoring with some light amount of Celtic sea salt or Himalayan salt. Um, and then tons and tons of greens and their green juices. So salads, dry salads. So we're not allowed any oils whatsoever. And we can get into all of, the, all of that if we have time as to why no oils, why low fat. Low fat's absolutely crucial. Um, and so then they just eat that for a couple of days and then we introduce sweet potatoes and we have them as a separate introduction than starting on day one because some people, believe it or not, um, can't, don't do well on the sweet potatoes, even though it's a, a real uh, favorite amongst elimination diets. And so we test the sweet potato and then we look at some different ways of making it taste nice with some soups and then we bake it. And then, so we get by to about day number 12 and then we start reintroducing foods in a particular order. So we've done 12 days, two of which have been a cleanse, 10 of which have been very repetitive. Okay, so we're talking buckwheat, quinoa, sweet potato, tons of greens, um, garlic, onion, um, um, a lot of sprouts. So we're talking about alfalfa sprouts, mung bean sprouts, very enzyme-rich sprouts. Mm. And that's all you're eating. There's no sugar in there, okay? There's no, no fructose in there because a, a large portion of people I have experienced and witnessed have trouble with the fruit sugars as well. You've got to understand that when you have rheumatoid arthritis, your gut is a diabolical nightmare. It is like you're so messed up, it's ridiculous. So we need to take out virtually all of the potential causes. Notice there's no soy. There's obviously no animal foods. It's low fat. Um, the proteins are soft and gentle in the buckwheat and quinoa, like no high sulfur-containing proteins. Um, the foods, All the foods are alkalizing. It's very rich in greens. And so it's just, there's no gluten, right? So it's really, really, really gentle. And then we reintroduce foods and um, we try to get some key foods in early that can assist with the healing. Foods like papaya, which are rich in papain, the enzyme to break down proteins. Um, and again, that, that touches on, you know, raising a question why, well, we can talk about in a minute if you like, um, what's going on like what how is the digestive system broken down and and so proteins are a key factor in the autoimmune problem area and so we 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 work on protein digestion um we work on increasing potassium um we work on um bringing in um, miso paste as a source of fermented foods that's highly predictable and and um and offers great flavor for some of the simple foods. And so there's a strategy around expanding the foods to, to make the diet become easier to stick with and also to aid further and further um, improvements to the gut. Okay. So yeah, step-by-step -step process to reintroduce more challenging foods, which mm -hmm. It's kind of, if you think about like when you talk about like a low FODMAP diet, they take most things out and they're supposed to slowly introduce certain amounts that your body can deal with it. Um, and I think a lot of people are learning now with the gut is it's not like you're intolerant to something and you can never have it for the rest of your life. It's just like introduce it in small amounts, let your gut microbiome evolve to that new food and let it kind of repopulate it so that it can digest those things so that's kind of a similar kind of approach right yeah absolutely in fact there was a study that i i recall reading 
um, about how they did that with um, black beans and uh, how they did a test where people found that they had huge flatulence and, and, and amount of bloating and stuff with, with black bean consumption. So what they did is they you know, took them out of the diet for a month and then they gave them like t two black beans a day or something, then four, then six, then eight or something, you know, like that. Yeah. And, and found that after a while they were able to digest these beans and not have the symptoms that they used to have through exactly the, the, the mechanism you, you explained. Yeah, so that's, I think, really important for people that are going from a plant-based or from an animal-based diet onto a plant-based diet is not thinking that you can't have beans, it's just have them slowly and then reintroduce yeah. them. Yeah. Um, I see this a bit, actually, just to, to give you a, a humorous example of um, not really a, a, a particular case study, but, the, the, but I see sometimes just absolute um, car crashes where people try to go immediately from a full-on high fat western diet and then to do our program i mean the impact on their life is just so great um it's almost like their whole world gets turned upside down because they're so used to a certain way of eating and a certain way of feeling certain tastes certain digestion you know the enzymes and how they break down their foods and I mean, it is a world of difference. And I describe it as being on a freeway heading in one direction at full speed and then just turning the wheel 90 degrees, crossing over the median strip and then trying to head back the other direction all in one go, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's that huge amount of bumpiness as you go over that median strip. I mean, it's a wild ride. And then you have to, um, when you get onto the other um, road on the other side, you have to, you know, take start off slowly because you've lost lost speed and then build your way back up again to full speed on the other direction but it's a bumpy road if you do it um suddenly uh, mm. dr clapper who i'm sure you 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 know um he um he when he gets his patients to switch to plant-based and he sees that they're on a you know wild western kind of situation diet uh he will uh, he often gets them to transition over two or three weeks because he said sometimes the 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 sudden the sudden impact of the change can be a little bit too overwhelming, but, but I like to see people get results instantly, as I said, because, you know, when you're in so much pain, um, if you feel good, suddenly you don't care how much of a bumpy ride it is. You're going to stick with it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, like you said, you want to get people results straight away so that they trust you and then they're going to actually do what you say because they believe in what you've, what you're doing. Um, let's talk about the low fat thing and why low fat is so important, but also maybe tie that back in with your, was it blame? Is that your ac acronym that yeah. you've got? Yeah. Let's talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I th I'll, I'll run through the blame acronym, which is something that I put together so that I could remember how to describe this when I was giving presentations and stuff. So I wouldn't forget some of my bullet points. Um, but, but so, uh, the scientific studies that are uh, published on, you know, the gut microbiome and rheumatoid arthritis, of which there are hundreds. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where if a rheumatologist isn't aware that there is a link between the digestive system, what you eat and symptoms, then uh, it's kind of embarrassing. But it happens all the time. And I think it's now becoming embarrassing because the evidence is just so overwhelming i mean the whole area of research has shifted towards microbiome and autoimmune diseases um 
And so it's kind of mind blowing when people, uh, you know, report back, they went to their rheumatologist and they said they changed their diet and the doctor still says, why would you do that? There's no link between, you know, diet and, and rheumatoid arthritis. It's kind of come on, get with it. You know, that's not the dark ages. So, um, but, but the studies show the following. And so I'm quoting sort of evidence from studies, which obviously I can't produce right now, but I have a website, pattersonprogram.com. And if people want these studies, uh, it's at forward slash guide, G-U-I-D-E. That's short for guide for rheumatologists. Okay. So that's what this is. This is where it's coming from. Um, so we've got a bacterial overgrowth and the amount of bacterial overgrowth um, pathogenic bacteria is linearly related to the amount of symptoms in the body. Um, and what we've, what's been shown is that some bacteria that's meant to be inside your gut is actually ending up physically inside the joints of people with rheumatoid arthritis where it's triggering an inflammatory response. So we've got this concept of leaky gut, which is the L for blame. So bacteria, then we've got L for leaky gut. Gut leakiness just means that there is you know, intestinal permeability particles, whether they be bacteria that's meant to be in your gut or whether they be um, particles from foods that you've, you've eaten and passing through your intestines are ending up into your bloodstream where they can become lodged in your joints and create a um, basically an antigenic effect and the body attacks those proteins particularly that aren't meant to be there. Um, so amino acids in the blood, fine but whole proteins big problem okay bacteria big problem okay so that's what's going on now we've got uh there's two a's in the blame uh so a stands for acidosis so by consuming a lot of foods that create a state of um, metabolic acidosis um, our non-blood liquids in the body become more acidic than what they should be and this leads to, you know, general unwellness, leads to a poor microbiome as well. And then we have another A for acid in the stomach. And we have low stomach acid with rheumatoid arthritis contributing to less protein digestion, contributing to more proteins, therefore uh, being undigested, entering, the di entering, you know, your, um, you know, small intestine, potentially ending up in the, um, in the uh, bloodstream. And then mucosal lining is depleted. Your mucosal lining is meant to be the home of where your bacteria live. And so if you've got very little mucosal lining or it's, been, um, it's not properly produced, then there isn't enough bacteria in particularly your large, your large intestine or your colon um, to house enough of your good bacteria to act in the way that they're meant to and uh, modulating your immune system. And further to that, that's also in the mucosal lining where most of our nutrients are absorbed. And this lends to malnutrition. Again, confirmed in studies that folks with rheumatoid arthritis frequently mal malnourished. And finally, uh, E is for enzymes. And so um, the body's ability to break down foods is, is hampered by a lack of, of uh, digestive enzymes um, being excreted to assist with breaking down the food. So, all of these things, all of these problems exist in mass with people with rheumatoid arthritis and all the studies uh, confirm this. And so you've got, as I said, like this absolute disaster of, of a digestive um, capacity that needs to be restored and very delicately restored. It's almost like a, it's just like, almost like a shell of a house and you've got to go in there and put the walls back up and you've got to, uh, you know, lay the carpet. And I mean, it all needs to be restored. 
And so that's what's going on. Um, with regards to why things need to be low fat, um, the low fat thing is a wonderful overgeneralization of the best way forward. If I, if I could only say two words to help someone with rheumatoid arthritis, it would be low fat. Um, why low fat? Well, if you say low fat, it immediately disqualifies meat because all meat is high in fat because of the, the fat in the cells, regardless if it's lean chicken, whatever it's high in fat because the fat is inside the muscle cells. So all animal products have to go. And the benefits of doing that are tremendous from a point of view of um, toxicity and from a point of view of um, the proteins that are in the meat. Um, uh, and so uh, avoiding, you know, uh, the in inflammation that comes with animal products. So we immediately disqualify meat and also disqualify dairy, which shares all of the same issues with regards to fat. Okay. So we disqualify two things that are, as per, you know, studies in the last couple of years, uh, show up most with regards to uh, food irritants for people with RA. And then you also disqualify vegetable oils, which is probably like the, the, the vegetable oils are even worse, if you could believe, than, than the meat and the dairy. So um, the vegetable oils, obviously being pure fat, um, exacerbate all of the symptoms that fat do on the gut, but at a much higher level. So fat creates temporary uh, gut leakiness. So as the fat moves through the digestive tract, we have a state of temporary um, intestinal permeability um, heightened, height, I guess, amplification. Mm. And this allows more, um, you know, particles to enter the bloodstream, uh, causing more uh, autoimmune uh, reaction. But further to that, most fats are also in a bad ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s. So we're triggering then an imbalance um, and then thirdly, um, fats tend to aggravate oxidative stress situations. So what's happening, particularly if you mix fats with sugars, is you can create a situation where these fats are undergoing a state of um, uh, uh, lipid peroxidation. And this is a state where they... Uh, um, steal an electron from one of your cells and then this creates a cascade and the consequence at the end of all of the molecular chemical changes is some degraded proteins so you've got this whole cascade of chemical events and at the end of it you end up with these kind of um, bastardized proteins for want of a better expression and these proteins that are bastardized actually become immunoreactive and so then you've got um, then you've got these, all of these additional proteins that don't look right because they've been degraded through this process of electrons being stolen from another um, molecule, from another molecule, and you end up with more immunoreactive proteins. And so you've, you, you've got to have low fat. And I've got some examples, um, and it's happened to me personally. You can be doing just fine. But if you have one meal, just one meal that contains vegetable oils, it can provide you with a significant setback. So they are absolutely so dangerous, the vegetable oils, particularly oils cooked in restaurants, um, because those oils that they use in those industrial fryers, they reheat them day after day after day. And every time they reheat, they're, they're free radical 
um, capacity to donate these uh, to steal electrons like goes through the roof. So at home, even cooking olive oil on the on the stir fry is going to be obviously detrimental. But at a, at a restaurant, it's like you gotta you gotta even be worse. absolutely sure of what you're eating. Mm. Okay, so when you say low fat, do you know what percentage of your diet would you'd say like five percent? Are you still including things like nuts and seeds and that kind of stuff, or are you just having you know avoiding at all costs? Um, well. Turns out I ran a um, uh, nutritional analysis over the diet that just contains leafy greens, buckwheat, quinoa, sweet potato, like we talked about before. And it turns out as long as you eat enough of the food, you will meet your daily requirements of essential fatty acids and have a great ratio of threes and sixes. Hmm. So it's amazing how we can achieve our fatty acid requirements when we reduce our omega-6 intake. And I'm sure this is something that uh, your, your clients benefit a great deal from you speaking with them about. Um, but basically, uh, you know, when you have a very low six intake, you don't need a lot of three to have a wonderful yeah. fatty acid profile because they both are going down the same consumption paths in the body. So if you take away all the sixes, the whole body's freed up to absorb all the threes. And that's, that, that's what we find. And so, um, you know, my friends over at Mastering Diabetes, like Robbie and Cyrus, they do their fatty acid profile and those guys with very, very little fat in their diet have perfect, <laughs> perfect bloody profiles, right? Yeah. I had Robbie on, um, on here actually on this podcast and he's, he's quite a character, but you know, he, yeah, he's just fruit and fruit and some rocket from what he looks like on Instagram, pretty much his diet and like, Huh. But yeah, you know, he's managing his diabetes so well with that as well. And it's amazing when you look at his ratio for insulin to carb compared or units of insulin per carb. So it's crazy compared to the other people that are, you know, trying other diet techniques to, to manage it. It's, it's amazing, really. Absolutely. I mean, he's a great example of taking something to the extreme mm. and getting the result that everyone could only dream of. Um, and so, yeah, his is a great example to say, look, keep your sixes way down and you'll get all of the healthy fats you need from your diet, even if the total fat intake is low. And yeah. so that's what, that's what we found from the analysis of our early stage of our program. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it tends to work, but as soon as you increase, you asked about nuts, seeds, um, maybe things like avocado, olives. So these I have in the reintroduction sequence, but far later, not for a couple of months, because if we don't need to have that extra fat load on the body, it's best to avoid it. Um, just because I want to see people primarily get their inflammation down and keep it down. Okay. So would you say now then that those people you work with and yourself, you're almost eating a nor what people would consider a normal whole food plant-based diet? with a low fat component, but there is not many foods that you're limiting. That's just like a normal, what a whole food plant-based diet should be like. Yeah, I think so. Um, it takes a few years to get there, to be fair, um, not to try and paint too much of a rosy picture on how easy this is. Uh, this is a very challenging and slow process. So there's only two ways to heal the really, 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 really slow way and the really, really, really slow way. And so we have, we have, we find ourselves on one of those two parts and 
after after a year or two, you know, I would expect that the diet looks something like the following. Um, it would be a great achievement at that point if people are having oats for breakfast with some blueberries, raspberries and things to uh, help with the antioxidant um, um, perspective as they consume their oats. Um, then they might have a light snack or maybe a handful of almonds or uh, macadamia nuts or something for, for mid-morning. Then they might for lunch have leftovers from the night before, which might be, um, say, mung dal, mung dal with rice. Um, but again, not heavy on the dal, not like just huge portions, maybe primarily like a rice-based meal with some mung dal or some beans or something as a more of a side as opposed to, you know, overloaded. Um, always with some leafy greens. Uh, and then in the afternoon, maybe snacking on fruits as much as they want. Um, and then dinner again, you know, you might be talking about, you know, again, some kind of legume and, and rice or some legumes and um, quinoa, buckwheat, any of the root vegetables. By then, probably people are eating normal potatoes, pumpkins, um, corn. Um, and some people might be by then eating some sourdough bread. Uh, again, no oil. Um, quality sourdough mm. so, so that's the kind of gluten as well or not gluten um there is gluten well um whole, yeah, there whole is, gluten rather than processed but yeah which is the key i think yeah and i can i can handle breads really well whereas i used to get not just rheumatoid inflammation from it but also it used to block my nose I, as soon as i would eat bread i couldn't breathe through my nose and uh that was a symptom that i had for many years um, and now I can eat the bread without that um, and without the inflammation response. And so, yeah, we talked about, you know, gut healing and an and a evolution of, of repair that happens. And it certainly does. And I'm, I can attest to that through my own uh, experience, not just with the amount of foods, but the type of foods and how I responded to those foods. So, um, you know, I think that um, it's, it, the diet ends up being close to kind of a McDougal kind of situation where you've got a starch, it's a starch kind of heavy kind of diet because with a starch focus, you've got very easy to digest and break down foods. It's not so laden with proteins and it's low in fat. So, um, you know, we've got adequate fat, adequate protein and lots and lots of easy to digest carbohydrates, which are, clean fuel. And I think that's where we end up and that's where I like people to get to. And that's where I like to be. I like to eat a lot of, you know, the, the starchy kind of meals, the potatoes, the rice, um, the breads and oats. They're my four staples that I like to eat a lot of. And I, I feel good and I keep inflammation away by, by sticking in, in that safe range. That's good to hear. So it's interesting though, is when you talk about, or when we, and I'm sure you've heard the stories of, I can't digest a whole food plant-based diet. And they do, like you said, go from a omnivore diet. They might be in the same situation or similar situation to you. And then they go completely, like you said, to a plant-based diet. You can see why um, it does take a while for their body, their gut to get used to it. And I think for anyone that is listening and is thinking of, oh, maybe I just need to shift straight to a plant-based diet is you might be able to deal with it, but you may not. And if you can't, that doesn't mean give up. It means keep trying, but do it in a more systematic approach. Would you kind of agree? Oh, no doubt about it. Um, 
the the convincing area is in the science. If you look at the science, the and we're talking about unbiased medical reviews over the past twenty years of examinations and tests that people have done on on rheumatoid arthritis and and uh, foods. And if you just look at the science and see what they summarize, they summarize that a mostly plant-based diet, certainly avoiding meat products and uh, uh, dairy products uh, in excess. Of course, they don't say eliminate them because they just, you know, they're, they're, they want to be popular. <laughs> they want to be popular. <laughs> yeah. But they emphasize the, the plant intake and they warn of overconsumption of meat and dairy. Um, and once you know that, you can't unknow that. Like, how do you unknow that once you hear that and you see the evidence? Then every time you reach for the cheese pizza and pepperoni on top and so forth, you know that all the evidence over decades has shown that that's going to make you worse. Yeah, I just find it very hard then to justify why you wouldn't stick with a plant-based diet and see it through, knowing that the greater wisdom is telling you that that's going to work. And then if that's not enough and you have this disease, um, people can go to uh, my podcast and watch the countless case studies where people come on and share their results with going plant-based. And it's very, very motivating. So I don't care whatsoever if people end up following our my specific protein, uh, program, which I've just outlined exactly uh, uh, just moments ago, whether they want to follow that or whether or not they just want to go plant-based to begin with and, and be inspired from other people and listen to what they've done. But um, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit um, unfortunate if you know all this and then you don't do it because you're only going to ultimately hurt yourself. Yeah, true. So is there a crossover between this way of eating and helping with rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune diseases that you know of? Yeah, almost definitely. So I think that generally speaking, most autoimmune diseases have a similar kind of underlying cause. And we see this with studies on lupus and ankylosing spondylitis and Crohn's disease. Um, what, what we see is that, um, what I, what I personally see is that when people with these conditions follow the approach that I recommend, which is to get as much low irritant plant foods into them as possible, that most of them, if not all, most, um, will improve. And uh, a lot of the case studies that I mentioned before, people that I've had on my show, um, have been non-rheumatoid, but have been things like sciatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, and uh, and others. So, I believe that we all have these um, different targets in our body as to where the body is going to attack when it's in distress and confused. But they are just, uh, I guess, um, genetically predisposed. And that the underlying cause, though, is, is very similar. So if we heal the gut, if we reduce oxidative stress, we are going to have a freaking good body again. Uh, it's just really hard to do those things. Um, but that's what we should be trying to do. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. And how does this obviously compare to what I think the more 
maybe not at the moment, but earlier in the, in, I don't know, this decade where they were talking about autoimmune paleo and autoimmune keto diets to cure these kind of things. Like, it seems like what you are suggesting is almost the opposite in a way, or there are similarities. So what is, um, I guess, the reason behind why some people do believe that an autoimmune paleo diet might be the answer as opposed to what you're saying? Part of it comes back to, you know, the old people love hearing good news about their bad habits. Okay. So if you have a choice of being able to keep eating your favorite food and, and attempt a program that um, facilitates that you will almost always try that first. And therefore that one is going to have the sheer masses of people, uh, much many more people than approach like mine, where I'm telling you, you gotta, you gotta follow the science and you've got to do what actually is going to work as opposed to what's popular. So that's part of it. The other part of it is, um, is rather than it being the opposite of what I recommend, I think of it as a halfway point because people who go on a paleo diet, they at least clear up all of their fast food. Okay. So they get rid of their junk. Okay. Processed foods is out and that can improve the symptoms of people by maybe 10, 15%, okay, 20%. So people are immediately going to be better just by eliminating the processed foods. Then paleo, automatic keto, I, I tuned out once keto came along, I thought, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need another stupid freaking variation of eating meat because I just know that it doesn't work, right? You're mm. not going to get there in the long run. Um, so... So I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you the ins and outs of the keto, but I, with, with, the, with the paleo, at least the paleo autoimmune variety of the, the diet, um, they try and curb out uh, dairy products. And that's going to get you another 30% of symptomatic reduction. Dairy's, dairy's not as bad as, as vegetable oils, but it'd be number two, I'd say. It'd be vegetable oils, then dairy, then meat, okay? And so you've actually improved your symptoms and cut out two of the worst things, processed foods and dairy. Um, and then you're left with you focus on vegetables and meats and they include some coconut oils and other things, which, which aren't ideal, but um, you're going to feel better. Mm. There is a danger in feeling a bit better on a program that ultimately isn't going to serve you because you become addicted to it and think that ultimately you're going to get there in the end. But um, I don't know. I should have a good metaphor for that, but I think it's maybe... the opposite of, but the opposite of good is evil or something like, or good is because when you're comfortable, you don't thrive to yeah. be great. Yeah. And, that's it. Yeah. And you want to, you know, Oh, it's, I'm okay now. Oh, it's like, Oh, I've won a million pounds on the, on the lotto. So I don't need to work anymore, but you know, a million pounds ain't going to last you for the rest of your life. So you kind of keep working. So it's, yeah, it's the opposite of, good as great or something like that i don't know yeah yeah we're, we're, we 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 understand each other but <laughs> yeah that's the key yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it so they'll they'll see this out for like a year or two and their symptoms just creep so you get the immediate improvement you might be 30 40 percent better and then you sort of get stuck there and um people lose weight on that program too don't worry uh, autoimmune paleo people can lose a lot of weight on that unwanted weight loss is a common common uh, a problem there uh, not just with that but also um, you know when people follow our program as well it's a challenge for people to to um, to balance weight loss and uh, and also um, 
get their symptoms uh, where they want them to be because um, just the process of metabolizing food uh, is a is a process of of creating oxidation and so if we're trying to reduce oxidative stress uh, one of the quickest ways to do it is stop eating right it's the same with like the proteins no longer entering the bloodstream because you're not eating so everything points to not eating which is funnily enough which is why every study on every species ever has shown that restricting their calorie intake has made them live longer and have less disease okay so ultimately uh low consumption of food is a wonderful thing um but we all don't want to look uh look look unwell and we all want to um eat enough food to enjoy our life and yeah so it's finding that balance but so i, I think that answers the question about paleo and keto um it's not the opposite it's a halfway point and i say look if they just went a little bit further and got rid of the coconut oil got rid of the meat altogether they've nailed it they're just only halfway there yeah and you think that would be that if they've gone all the way to paleo that probably the meat thing is probably going to be quite easy hopefully yeah yeah you'd think so yeah mm. okay um i guess before we go for someone that has not got um you know, any kind of autoimmune disease or rheumatoid arthritis do you think that they need to go to such lengths with their diet do you think everybody should be eating it in this way or do you think there's a little bit more of extra room where they can have flexibility like maybe they could be cooking an olive oil occasionally or that kind of thing yeah so while it's not a popular comment i think that we all should be avoiding oils completely that's my my fairly strong view um, and I think that, um, that everyone will be healthier uh, to avoid oils. Uh, keep in mind that we've already spoken about earlier how if you eat almost virtually no fat, you still can meet your essential fatty acid intake. Um, and, and of course, people who don't have any apparent symptoms, autoimmune symptoms, um, can eat as much you know, healthy uh, healthy foods containing high fats as they want. You know, they can eat their avocados, they can eat their olives and get their olive oil through the olive fat without having to squeeze the hell out of it. So yeah. I think, you know, that, that's, that would be the strongest recommendation for health promotion is just stop the oils. And it's not just Clint, the wacky guy who went through wild and crazy, disastrous, nightmarish hell. You know, you look at guys like Cadwell Esselstyn and you look at these other experts, including McDougall, and like, you know, it's quite common, the no oil message. And I think it's growing. And in fact, when I go to, I'm speaking at plant stock in the US in about two months. And um, I know that it's a no oil feel um, that's evolving amongst the speakers. So, you know, I do think that that will become more of the vegan whole food plant based kind of standard in the future mm. as opposed to people hanging on to it as though it's okay i do think it's going to go um and and certainly from an autoimmune perspective rightly so and then the other thing i'd say is I, i'm not a fan of the fake meats the fake soys and stuff like that the soy alternative products um again not health foods and so if we're on a whole food plant-based diet we shouldn't be eating that anyway because it's not a whole food but you know these things creep in um, try not to let them creep in too much. And, and then other than that, gosh, get the leafy greens in here and life will be, life will be healthy for a long time. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the mock meats because I think, and I'm not sure it's what it's like in Australia, but every supermarket now has their own processed meat kind of brand. 
And I'm almost getting worried that that is what's going to lead a whole nother level of unhealthy vegan people. Because if you think about, you know, post World War II, that was when that was kind of present for everybody. And then we had the obesity epidemic and now we're in a place where we are now. And before that, vegans could only eat vegetables and beans. And now they've got all these processed vegan foods. You're like, what's going to happen in 10 years time? They're probably all going to have more issues because they, there is still that, that, assumption that oh i'm vegan therefore i'm healthy but it can be very far from the truth you know like still process stuff that's essentially where all my clients come from are the ones that don't understand the difference between a vegan and plant-based diet or have trouble going to that plant-based thing so um, i'm a little bit worried about how the future <laughs> might look um but you know it's exciting at the same time yeah well i think that is all that we have got time for today um before we go how do people kind of find out more about you your program and if they just want to if they just like you where can they find you um we have a mailing list uh which is easily accessible people just go to the front page of pattersonprogram.com um just download our our toolkit which helps people to um you know have a have a a roadmap for their healing um that's a free download and that'll subscribe them to our mailing list um and my email address if people want to ask some questions is info at pattersonprogram.com uh, it comes through to a help desk and if people address their questions to me then i can take a look at those uh, we have an extraordinarily deep and complex com comprehensive frequently asked questions uh, database that uh, my staff can uh, direct a lot of a lot of questions too if if they're you know common questions whether they want the science that i've spoken about information about the fat uh, how the immune system responds uh, in an autoimmune manner to the to the um, gut dysbiosis whatever it is we we generally have a, a lot of this stuff well covered um and i i would say if they're interested in you know if they like me as you said and want to hear more of my my twang, uh, then I, then just listen to the podcast. We have a podcast just like your own. And, um, I, I interview, um, guests, uh, about all sorts of autoimmune related topics, particularly people, uh, who have done well on our program. That's always feel good stories and sometimes a tear shed and stuff like that. Mm. And I forgot to ask you now we talked about the importance of medication when you diagnosed with, um, rheumatoid arthritis do you still take that same medication or have you completely alleviated it i haven't taken it for five to six years so it's been a very long time since i've taken it and believe it or not i still have the remaining tablets in a bottle in the fridge so that's essentially the remission that you were talking of that's a more natural way of getting there right it is but i would i, I would uh, i would caution folks in their anticipation of the simplicity to get to where I am at. It's not to say it hasn't happened and those people I interview on my podcast have gotten to the same place, um, but it's a slow path and it's a challenging path, um, but uh, it is possible and it is um, possible not just as my one-off case, but as the, uh, the, the many people who I interview have have, have shared as well. So that's right. Um, you can get to a point where what, what I, what I target is a state of complete confidence and control. That's what we're after. We want confidence over our symptoms, 
uh, and control over our symptoms so that we're not afraid, we're not living in fear that we're going to wake up with the symptoms again tomorrow because we know what foods, what lifestyle behaviours, what lack of exercise tends to bring it on and we make choices and have discipline so that we uh, get the results that we want. It's a good nutshell. I think one thing that I've learned from speaking to you is that, you know, some people might say it's extreme to go on a raw vegan diet for eight months or do a juice fast. But the one thing that resonated with me was I think it's more extreme to have to put your elbow in a machine for 10 hours a day and let it move. Like <laughs> that is a lot more extreme than just cutting out some foods of your diet. So when you put them next to each other, you're like, well, I think I might go and just do this and try this and see what happens kind of thing. Because, you know, yeah. your joints are super important. Your gut health is super important. And I think that's, um, yeah, a really important point. So thank you for taking your time, your evening to talk to me. Um, and I hope that this helps at least one or two people out there that they can um, start to implement something and alleviate those symptoms. I oh, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. That's right. And that's all for today, guys. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Of course, we'll see you next week. If you have questions or want to find out more information about working with me, check out my Instagram at thevegan underscore coach, my website, thevegancoach.org, or just check out my Facebook page. Have a great day and see you next week.